my first boss when I came out here uh, was Judith Gishon, and she later went on to become our Lieutenant Governor uh, in British Columbia. And she has a, a lot of environmental values. And she once said, uh, and, and it sticks with me when I first came here, she said, you know, I truly believe that some of our uh, best environmentalists wear cowboy boots, not sandals. Welcome to The First 16. I'm Kirk Finken. And I'm Sarah Boivin-Shabot. The voice you just heard was Kevin Boone, a producer born and raised on his family ranch in Alberta, and who has since moved out to British Columbia. And he's now the general manager for the BC Cattlemen's Association, and he's involved in a number of projects that deal with the subject of our episode today, which is agroforestry. And we also spoke with Dr. Raju Sulanayakanahali, a research scientist from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. He's one of our experts digging into the innovative world of agroforestry. Agroforestry is very oldest practice, even when we look at the First Nation communities, integrating trees is part of their cultural upbringing. So for us, like we are trying to redefine the old wine in the new bottle. So we are trying to define agroforestry in a modern concept. But for me, it's one of the oldest sciences that all of our grandparents followed. Agroforestry is a relatively simple but very effective concept in agriculture. Actually, it's basically exactly what it sounds like. Agriculture and forestry. It's all about planting trees and shrubs together alongside your crops or your grazing animals to create both economic and environmental benefits. And Sarah, you've actually had personal experience working in agroforestry, haven't you? Yeah, I did my master (laughs) in agroforestry, actually. So this is one of my favorite topics. And you'll be able to tell in the interviews, I got really excited, especially talking to Kevin. It's been a while since I have the boots on the ground experience. So listening to all the work he's doing was really, really fun for me. I learned a lot too from Raju uh, about the science behind agroforestry. Like he was saying, the research is new, but the practice is pretty much as old as agriculture itself. So it's a subject with really deep roots. Uh, Oh, um, yes, well played. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start things off with Raju to get the full story of agroforestry and why we're looking at these same techniques again today. Raju, can you tell us when the history of agroforestry began in Canada? When it comes to Canada, the history of agroforestry dates back more than a century. If I speak particularly from the prairie perspective like Western Canada. Since 1901, the Department of Agriculture at that time, currently now redefined as Agriculture Agri-Food Canada, we have been producing trees and distributing the free trees to farmers in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and Peace River region of British Columbia. On any given year, anywhere between three to five million trees were shipped to the prairie farmers for planting on their ag landscapes, whether it is for shelter belt planting on the farm, as well as like planting some of the riparian and uh, other planting designs that we find commonly. And uh, so far, 
through the prairie farm rehabilitation program the prairie farmers have received in the last 116 years more than 700 million trees that got planted on prairies and if we measure the number of kilometers of shelter belts planted on saskatchewan landscape alone it's 50000 kilometers or more you mentioned a couple of terms there that i think we should highlight shelter belts and riparian planting designs um, shelter belts are when you plant a barrier of trees or shrubs to protect crops from wind and storms right and riparian planting involves planting next to the streams or other water sources to decrease erosion and runoff so those are both kinds of agroforestry right broadly agroforestry can be put into five major categories one is like shelter belts or windbreaks the second one is alley cropping or tree based intercropping silvopastoral systems riparian buffers and forest farming these are the five practices that we define them and each one of them has their own unique way of integrating the trees on agriculture systems as well as with livestock oh Yeah, alley cropping is when you plant rows of trees and then you put your agricultural crop in the so-called alleyways in between. That also helps with reducing soil erosion and recycling nutrients. Silvopastoral is specifically integrating trees and forage with livestock animals. That's what Kevin's involved with. And forest farming is the cultivation of crops under a maintained forest canopy which promotes shade and growth. So there's a number of uh, I guess we can call them like patterns uh, for planting trees or for agroforestry which makes sense since uh, not every agricultural landscape has the same needs uh, each one is different especially in this vast country of Canada and especially in times where climate change is affecting agricultural condition more and more every year yeah that too um Raju How does agroforestry fit into the adaptation to and mitigation of climate change? Well, this is very good question cook for the reason we recently were collaborating with Nature United and we published a paper called Natural Climate Solutions for Canada and this has a very strong implications and mitigation potentials where we should whether it is agriculture landscape wetlands grasslands or forestry landscape what is the carbon sequestration potentials of integrating trees for example government of canada now has a 2 billion tree planting program to mitigate some of the paris agreement targets by 2030 and beyond up to 2050 so if i just restrict myself to the agriculture landscape based uh, systems this natural climate solutions came up with like 11 different themes under which on agriculture landscape we have potential to sequester more carbon and if i narrow down further into agroforestry practices we have tree based intercropping or alley cropping that has potential then we have silvopastures that has potential in eastern canada mainly in quebec and uh, ontario regions then we have like uh, riparian afforestations whether this can be pan canadian landscape we can use wherever there are water bodies streams and all and finally when prairie specific is avoided conversion of shelter belts and if these natural climate solutions for canada are followed what will we see as a results overall when we look at 
trees in agriculture landscape, it has potential to sequester 7.7 megatons of carbon equivalents per year. These are the potentials that we showed by 2030 to achieve on the Canadian landscape uh, from coast to coast. So what it takes into account is uh, the integrated strategy to reduce emissions and also to sequester carbon, number one. Number two, globally, the natural climate solutions provide one third of all the mitigations needed by 2050. So Canada is a partner on that. And lastly, effective implementation of these natural climate solutions are grounded to respect indigenous rights, cultures, and traditions as well. Hmm, that actually sounds really good. I have to admit, climate change sometimes keep me up at night, especially as someone who, you know, is raising kids and thinking about their futures. And there's a lot of pessimistic sort of doomsaying narrative out there with scientific basis, of course, but it's easy to forget, even for me working in this department, just how many researchers, scientists, biologists, chemists, plant physiologists, they're all out there working on this problem. Yeah, it really is a relief to hear this. Um, and we all want to create a better planet and healthier environment, especially producers. Their crops and livestock depend on it. Exactly. But I know sometimes there are obstacles or hesitancies that can get in the way of adapting new processes like that. Raju, can I ask you a question that I think might be on the mind of some of our listeners? I know you've talked about the benefits of agroforestry for carbon sequestration, for reducing soil erosion, encouraging plant growth, all that. But how about water conservation? Does agroforestry allow for it? Or would producers find that the trees they plant are competing for water resources? We can like look at it from two components. When we look at like non-point source pollution of fresh waters by planting riparian trees like poplars, willows all along the streams, you can intercept a lot of this runoff of nutrients when there are flooding events or when there are rainfall events. There is runoff of this topsoil that is rich in nutrients and that will eventually end up in freshwater systems or into oceans leading to uh, eutrophication or algal bloom and uh, increase in nitrate load in the freshwater. All these riparian trees have the immense potential to intercept and take up the water and nutrients and avoid the environmental footprint on water bodies. When it comes to prairies, by integrating shelter belts on agriculture landscape, definitely the trees are competing with the crop for resources, whether it is water or nutrients. But the competition is only to a certain distance. For example, if a poplar tree is like say 15 meters tall, it can compete 15 meters from its base into the agriculture system. But the benefits of having that tree to minimize uh, wind erosion, to minimize soil erosion, and to trap snow during winter months is much more beneficial. You may lose the benefits in that 15 meter area zone, but that positive benefits will have be up to 300 meters from the planting of shelter pelt. The reason for it is in addition to all this minimizing wind erosion, trapping snow, there are also beneficial insects and pollinators that shelter in these uh, planted 
shelter belts or natural hedgerows that help in improving the crop productivity by having higher pollination rates. So there are always pros and cons when we are planting, but when we look at the combined effect, there is always a positive net benefit to the producer. So the science really adds up, but how does it look at the ground level? Is it time to branch out to Kevin Moon? <laughs> Only if you stop with the puns. No promises. Hi, Kevin. Can you tell us about some of the projects you've got going on as the general manager for BC Cattlemen's Association? Yeah, so we partner, um, we, we tend to most of our projects, uh, because we're a small association, um, tends to depend on partnering with researchers and with government and uh, with entities that, that have other interests and, and but are interests at the same time. So we've got a couple uh, on the go, three or four. Um, one that uh, we've got a little mini documentary out on called Too Close to Home uh, that depict some of the work we're doing uh, with livestock in utilizing the, the fine fuels of forage on the ground, but doing it in a way to protect uh, communities and forest values and some of the values out there. So it, another one that we got, uh, we are working with uh, Thompson River University and government uh, where they're doing a project of, of strip uh, logging. We've done some with uh, selective logging so that the objective in these fur belts is to be able to harvest again your timber in 25 to 35 years. But in the meantime, you've opened the canopy, so you're allowing uh, those grasses and forage and other vegetation to grow up underneath uh, while still retaining the value of the forestry as well as the capabilities of trapping snow uh, so that we've got uh, the proper runoffs. And that's a very important aspect of being able to feed the world, basically. I love the attention to long-term planning, not just short-term results. And it makes sense, you know, given the lifespan of trees. They're not, you know, on a six-month timeline. (laughs) So, Kevin, those are projects you've got on the go, but you've also got one that you're wrapping up now, right? One of the other projects that we have actually uh, been involved in that is just coming to a close that... uh, was um, utilizing the Climate uh, Action Initiative. uh, And we've developed a tool and worked on, uh, and it's called a a water forage and water resiliency project is what we refer to it as, uh, where we're forecasting out and utilizing a mapping tool to where will we need water access and water development uh, now to be able to in 30 years from now, know that we have access to that forage and the health for the forest uh, industry and the different aspects there. And by developing that map, uh, we can work with the First Nations and uh, with uh, the guide outfitters and other interests on the landscape to say, where in this map do you have values and where are the things that are there? So actually building a landscape level plan. And that includes forestry and the trees because Contrary to popular belief, we really do like trees and we really depend on them. You know, that is a great statement and an important thing to remember. But coming at it from the outside, there can be a bit of negativity or at least a lack of understanding about agriculture and forestry as they relate to climate change. Yeah, not everyone expects to see cattle in the forests. So they might assume they're having an adverse effect on the environment. 
Kevin, how do the cattle and the wildlife and the plant life all interact? Does it affect the regeneration of the forests? The, the wildlife and the cattle, and, and they interact very well together because they utilize the same plant base. And so you often see them in the same place at the same time. Uh, the trees are there and, and they're important too for the wildlife. They, they need the protection from the elements. And so it's important that we don't get rid of them uh, in there and that we create that balance there. And they work well together. And in fact, um, sometimes if you, if you don't have enough uh, on there. And so if we don't have enough deer or wildlife on there, we need the cattle on there to make sure that that uh, regenerative process for the forages underneath takes place because it's the same as when you mow your grass. Uh, if you leave it get too long, it, it, it stops growing. And if you cut it too short, it takes a while to get it going. But if you mow it to the right stent, you get a nice healthy lawn that keeps going. And that's the intent or that's the goal is to make it so that that is at the right length and it's it's having the right stocking levels of a combination of both uh, wildlife and cattle. It really sounds like an ecosystem. Well, it is an ecosystem, but you you really make it appear, you, you really put a light on it, how much of an ecosystem it is and how much the forest actually benefits from the cows just as much as the cow benefits from the forage. Yeah, and it, it's a matter of, we, we saw a situation uh, actually aside from these others where uh, some land was bought by a conservation uh, outfit that uh, the first thing was we're removing cattle from the landscape uh, because they have to be detrimental and uh, to all the species at risk and the different things. And uh, within uh, five or six years, they went to a rancher and said, we need your cattle on there because we're finding that... Uh, it, it's altered what brought those animals there in the first place and we want them back and we need the cattle. So they reintroduced cattle uh, into it and, and to that benefit. And so it's understanding the entire landscape. And to do that, the groups have to come together to understand the values and to try to accommodate and build a better working relationship for everybody that has uh, it in there, but also understanding in there uh, that uh, certain uh, interests in there are paying the tenure and are managing that land uh, at best uh, for other purposes. So. Well, in the spirit of that idea of bringing everybody together, what's something that you want everyone to be aware of as a producer involved in agroforestry? It's, it's a matter of how do we make uh, the public aware of that value? Because we have a public that really takes agriculture in a lot of ways for granted in the fact that um, they've always had food on their plate and they don't necessarily understand how or what it takes to get there. And we're not always beautiful uh, in what we have to do or what we do, but uh, we do it for them. And that is part of what managing that land we're doing for them uh, as well as for us. And, and uh, I think that that's a message that we don't get out enough. I am pretty passionate about what what our industry does in, in agriculture. And are we doing it perfect? Not a chance. Uh, are we trying? You better believe it. And are we willing to incorporate? And especially as we see the younger generation come up uh, into it, employing new techniques and new ways and learning off the past. We get so caught up in what can we change that we forget to look at, we don't need to change everything, we just need to refine what we do. 
I think that really sums up the state of agroforestry today. It's about the innovation of the future, but equally the wisdom of the past. Yeah, it's not a new concept by any means. Like I said, I used to do work on this years ago, but it's constantly developing, taking those ideas both new and old and finding how to refine them, all in search of creating economic, environmental and social benefits. Some of these developments in agroforestry are centuries in the making, and some are just being discovered as we speak. So let's go back to Reju because I had one last question for him. Raju, after all that we've heard from both you and Kevin about where agroforestry is at today, I want to know, where do you see this going? And, you know, what's your vision for the future? This is a very good question, Cook. In the month of July this year, the World Agroforestry Congress is happening here in Canada. The week of 17th, it will be held in Quebec City. More or less, this conference attracts researchers, practitioners, farmers from around the world, almost 130 to 160 countries people represent at these events. The theme of current conference is transition to a viable world. And there are a lot of transitions that are occurring under this theme. And one of the transition is transition to a viable climate. So climate change is a big thing. And the more and more we look at like the vagaries of nature, like intensive droughts or uh, excess heat, uh, floodings. So integrating the trees might help to buffer some of those negative footprint and help to sequester the carbon and cool the global warming. So that's where agroforestry can help to mitigate some of those. And for especially for developing countries, this is the most cheapest and most formidable way to approach climate mitigation potentials. Sarah, you've got the biggest smile on your face right now. I know, I just love it. Agroforestry is so interesting and there's still so many things to learn about it. Like today, Kevin talked to us about that project where they had cows grazing close to houses to cut on the undergrowth so it would reduce forest fires. I was really surprised of all that unexpected secondhand benefits for the house owners of being less afraid of forest fires when they come. Mind blown. In a similar vein, but, you know, kind of a social science kind of thing, um, Kevin was talking about the collaboration that they do. And, you know, he mentioned uh, uh, in our discussion with him the work with First Nations community, with municipalities and with other kind of interest groups where they're finding, you know, a common language to, to you know, talk about forestry and and agriculture and management of lands and stuff like that. And that I think is fantastic because these are groups that don't, didn't historically work together or, you know, collaborate. Raju talked a bit about it too uh, and talked about how it even impacted his life growing up in India. So it's universal. Yeah, no, I totally get it. In fact, I, I'm really starting to see the forest for the trees. Mm, you've been waiting to use that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, And hey, if you're out there waiting for the next episode of The First 16, make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss out on our next episodes. Yeah, we've got some really interesting and exciting topics coming up. 
as exciting for you as agroforestry? Almost, but I'm sure they'll grow on me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think we better leave it at that. Leave it at that? Mm, yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's really time for us to log off. <laughs> but until next time, you know what to do. <laughs> yeah, try something new. And try some better puns, jokes, yeah. Now you're being a stick in the mind. <laughs> <laughs>